0: Well, turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and as soon as I said that, Mr. McKillop says, phew, he's just glad I'm going to actually preach what I told him I was going to preach. Yeah, get another, we the song on the same notes. John chapter 17, and just to bring you up to date on where we are here, and uh, it is in Jesus' prayer. And you're probably wondering, well, we haven't had a pastoral prayer yet, and because we're in the midst of studying Christ's prayer, so I might throw that in there somewhere else other than now. All right, if that upsets you, it's okay. There are bigger things in the world to be upset about than that. We um, come into Christ praying. We saw uh, several weeks ago where Christ prayed uh, with regard to his own glory and asking the Father to glorify him. We re- re- related that to a request for the resurrection, that that is that, that glorification of the Son that brings him to uh, the point of ascension, to return to heaven, to come into the throne room of God, to take, op- to take the scroll that is there, to come with all that authority, to cast Satan out. All of that happens uh, in the context of that, of that very simple phrase of glorify your son, uh, that I can return to the glory that I had with you from the beginning. And then we looked uh, several weeks ago at the, his prayer for his disciples, uh, specifically for those that were his most intimate ones that he had ministered to personally uh, during his time on earth. And we are in the midst of that prayer. And so we handled the first references there, taking us through to verse 11, and we're going to pick up uh, in chapter 17, verse 12, this week, and uh, hopefully run this through the completion of his prayers for them, which would be verse 19. Let's read this passage together. I'm going to actually begin back at the beginning of this part of his prayer in verse 6 through 19. And just to help refresh our minds a little bit over its content. God's word declares, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name." Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let's go, Lord, in prayer as we prepare to enter in this context. Lord God, we do thank you again for your love for us. And we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We pray your spirit might have liberty to work in our minds and our midst to your honor, praise, and glory. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, our wills, and ask that you work in us that you might strengthen us, that so you might challenge us, rebuke us, correct us, uh, encourage us through your word. And Lord, this is certainly beyond the capacity of one man or one message, but not beyond the capacity of your spirit to do so, even with just this single message. And Lord, so we pray that you be an active agent in the midst of us this hour. And we thank you again for your promises that where we are gathering your name, that we can anticipate your work and we surrender ourselves again to it. We do pray that you might uh, guard this time from error and from opinion, uh, not only of of myself, but of each one of in our thoughts, that we might uh, center them upon your word, that we might recognize its authority, and that we might receive it into our very lives. And Lord, we need your help in all of this, and we thank you for it, as you have promised, uh, that those who ask wisdom from you, that you are, are uh, happy to provide it, to supply it. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom this from above. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the midst of this prayer, we have um, a, a <laughs> difficulty of of translation. And it's not in terms of what the verbiage is, not the words, uh, but what I really want to challenge us with is a little bit about the content, given all that we have learned already in the Gospel of John. And I don't find it very well applied in how your translation is spelling things. And yeah, I'm not talking about the the semantics, the syntax. I'm not talking about the words used. I'm talking about something much more pickier, but yet substantial. And we're gonna try to build on this today, and hopefully uh, that will give us a real charge in terms of understanding the power of what Jesus Christ is praying for his disciples. He has already referred to in our our message several weeks ago uh, to the condition of his disciples. And that was back in verse eight where we have walked through what Jesus Christ presented, uh, and really John, throughout the Gospel of John, of this developing faith. That is faith not only in the works, not only, that's the immature faith, that's the the unreliable faith, that's just in the works of God. Uh, It can uh, be turned against God at any time. And we saw that over and over again throughout the Gospel of John, the unreliability of a faith that trusts in his works. And then once the works dry up, seemingly, uh, then our faith dries up. Uh, but then we saw a maturing faith that really listened to the message, the words. And Jesus Christ, again, in verse 8 says, they have received the words. I spoke to them the words that you sent me to, and they received them. And so they went from an immature faith of seeing the works and to a mature faith, a maturing faith, that listened to the words and received them, even though they were very difficult. Remember, it was those difficult words of Jesus Christ that caused many to turn from being his follower to being his enemy. And so the disciples were those who heard the words that Jesus spoke, and as difficult as they were, they accepted them. And when Jesus confronted them, said, do you want to also leave now that you've heard some of my messages? They said, well, who else has the words of life? And who else is there like you? And so while we don't comprehend all of it, we are willing to receive your words and follow you nonetheless. And so it is not a mental agreement necessary for this maturing faith, but a willingness to receive it. It is not your mind, but your heart that determines that level of faith, that I'm hearing the words, I don't comprehend, or or I don't really even fathom the the height, depth, breadth of them, but I accept them as God's word, and therefore authoritative in my life, and as I explore their depth, and width, and breadth, I will mature, and I will continue to follow after them, no matter what, because my heart has received them. Even before my mind comprehends the, the words, Fully. And so we uh, have that. They receive the word, the words that Jesus Christ spoke, and then they went to the next level of faith. And we talked about that, that uh, the unreliable faith of just trusting the works of God, the maturing faith of, of believing and receiving the words of God, and then the, the salvific faith that, that movement into this point. Of, of recognizing that Jesus Christ is God, the acceptance of Jesus Christ as my God. That it is not just, he's not just speaking the words of God, that he is in fact God. That he is my Lord, my master, my savior. And that, that is that point, and while we see a developing faith and we are excited about it, we too often mistake these lesser forms of faith, of accepting the words of Christ, of accepting the works of Christ, with salvific faith of accepting Christ himself. And it is necessary that we accept Christ himself as our Lord and Savior. That we have that personal relationship. And so we see that in verse 8. It says that they have received not only the words, but they have surely known that I came from you and that you sent me. That they receive received me as their Lord, as their God. And thus they have come to that, that salvific faith at this point. And then that fully matured faith, that faith that, that is evidence to the world, and that is an obedient faith. And that was that fourth category of faith. And we're going to be talking about that at the end of this Portion of the prayer where he says, I have sent them into the world. That there is an obedience there. There's a willingness to do whatever is going to be required of them. Now, is there going to be consistent obedience? No, because they're going to fail that night, right? They're all going to scatter. So Jesus Christ knows that's coming, and that's why likely these words are in their hearing and out loud so they could hear it. And we're going to show how that is evidenced in the text here. But they're going to fail. Uh, they're going to fail because when Jesus ascends, even after they witness the resurrection, resurrected Lord, they're going to stand there looking into heaven, they're going to have to be rebuked by a couple of angels, say, what are you doing here? You know, He told you to go, so get busy. Uh, they're going to fail because they're not going to run out to the Gentiles and share the gospel. They're not even sure they should go to Samaritans too much, and they stay in the temple, and they worship there. And so, so, but their heart is to obey. Um, their mind has to catch up with what that means, um, but their willingness to obey is there. And that is that mature faith that says, I'm going to obey God no matter the cost. And even while they were not going out to the Gentiles and the Samaritans, they were still meeting in the temple, they were still willing to pay the price for that. They were beaten for that, and they said, I'm not going to stop preaching Jesus Christ even though you command us otherwise they're telling that to their religious and political authorities in their life that we're just, whether we obey you or obey God you decide but we're going to keep preaching what Jesus Christ told us to preach so this is that mature full faith that should be the objective of every man or woman of God i'm going to obey no matter what and so the disciples had already demonstrated this. And Jesus Christ is basing his prayer for them upon this foundation here presented in verse 8. We come forward now, and we've, we talked in previous messages about yours and mine and all of that uh, in the keeping. But let's jump in uh, to verse 13. It says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world. And this is a very particular statement Jesus Christ is saying, I'm coming to you right now, Lord. I know that I'm about to leave, that my time here is essentially over uh, within the next 24 hours. And then I have some ministry after the resurrection there. Uh, but my, my time here in terms of this intimate ministry with them that we just had for several hours uh, in the uh, events around uh, the Lord's Supper and the Passover meal they shared he says, These things I speak in the world that they might hear it. I'm convinced he is speaking out loud. He is speaking these things, not just in his heart, in his mind. He's speaking them out loud while he's in the world for somebody else's benefit. Not just because the Father once can't hear prayers unless you say them out loud. That's not the requirement. The requirement is for someone else's benefit who is there in this corporate prayer time. This is a prayer time that's not private. Remember that he brought his disciples with him. He asked the three, his inner three, to come with them, and he wants to pray out loud in their presence. He says, I speak these things while I am still here in the world. What what is the purpose of that? So that their joy be in themselves that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves and we studied this again several weeks ago and we talked about the objective of this of this uh, message by Jesus Christ in this conversation that one the, 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 the trifecta of the Christian faith uh, that we saw there and joy being one of those three peace love and joy and so we looked at joy we looked at this passage then and so I don't have don't need to take the opportunity to develop that, but it's that whole concept that he is engaged in this, that while they are going to be confronted with a lot of things that would bring fear, frustration, and, and uh, the, worst, uh, the worst sensations, feelings that are out there, um, he says, no, I want their joy to be fulfilled in them, my joy to be in them. A joy that says, I'm willing to endure for something greater than my own interests. And this is the the key underlying argument behind their commission and behind our commission to share the gospel with those around us. That that is our joy and the expense that it has to us is worth it who, and again, Christ Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised its shame, and is now set down at the throne of God. And so we find here that he wants their joy to be the wellspring from which their ministry comes, and only in that kind of setting can you enjoy, yes, enjoy, suffering for Jesus Christ. As if your joy isn't about your own issues, but about bringing salvation to others, bringing others into the kingdom of God. This is the joy that was set before Jesus Christ is the joy that needs to be in us. And so Jesus Christ is praying in front of them for their, his joy to be fulfilled in them, that they might have that same desire for the message of the kingdom that Jesus Christ has. Now, we come into the text that, that we're going to work on a little bit. and Because this is going to be some new aspects here. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And again, we already studied this back when we anticipated this uh, uh, in Jesus' conversation that he spoke to them and said that the world should hate you. You should be prepared for that. We saw it in chapter 15 particularly, but it's been uh, an underlying theme all the way along this because the disciples have witnessed Jesus engaging with his enemies. That the message of the truth, the words of, Jesus, of God that Jesus Christ spoke um, infuriated many people. So they hated Jesus Christ. He says, they're going to hate you. We have really already looked at that, but I really want to focus in on what has changed here beginning verse 14 and why I have a problem with our translations. Let's go back to John chapter 1. This is going to take us all the way back to the beginning of John. John chapter 1. And in this verse, chapter 1, verse 1, I don't have a problem with the translation at all. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made, and Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is one of the mega themes that we talked about throughout the Gospel of John. I had to take you all the way back to the beginning of this study to re-identify with you this not so cryptic reference to Jesus Christ, and you see it there translated properly for you, that Jesus Christ is the capital W Word. That it is not verbal communication we are talking about. We are talking about the person, Jesus Christ. And I will contend with you that we should have used that exact same formula when we get to his prayer in chapter 17 particularly when you remember what we learned in John 14. Let's take you there as well. John chapter 14, and let's begin reading again in verse 6. should be a verse that you have committed to memory, or should recognize immediately as soon as you hear it. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we have, I'm going to take these two themes, and again, we, could, we, we have woven this throughout the whole book. And so I've just taken the introduction of these and, and, and brought this concept to your thinking that when Jesus Christ prays this prayer in chapter 17, I have given them your word, that the word of God there is Jesus Christ himself. I am distinguishing this from what he says up here in verse 8. It says, I have given them your words. And that is a reference to his teaching. I have given them your words. I have given you the message that you sent for me. But I have also given them myself. And this is critically important to understand the distinction as we move in his prayer from their keeping of their salvation to the communication of their salvation to the world. It is a key element because they are going from receiving the words of God and Jesus Christ as God. They're moving from across that line of faith that once we understand though we receive the words of God through Jesus Christ, that we receive Jesus as God. And so when Jesus says, I have given them your word, please notice the immediate context is what? The world has hated me, they're going to hate them. Why? Because I've given them me. He is giving up his life that very next few hours. Before the sun sets again, he will be hanging on a cross. Well, he'll be buried by then before the sun sets. But before the sun sets by three, he'll be hanging on a cross dead. He has given them himself. I have given them the word. And I believe this should be capitalized. I've given them your word. The word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the gift of God. And now we are moving from not just hearing words, but looking to the one who has commissioned us to this ministry of going out into the world to share God's words with them, but even more importantly, to share God's, capital W, word with them. I have given them your word And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as soon as we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, as our God, he says you are no longer of this world. You are in this world. He's not going to pray that you get (laughs) dismissed from it immediately. But rather, that you are not of this world. You are now children of God. Once you receive Jesus Christ as your God. That he is the one that is Lord of my life. He is the one that that I serve and follow. He is everything. And the world will hate you because you are no longer of the world. Your whole attitude and approach to life and and to The value system of the world is completely different. They can't grasp it. They can't grasp why this is essential to you. That worshiping together is essential, like we talked about last Lord's Day. They cannot grasp that as an essential thing. Do you notice that there are no things uh, going around talking about pastors being essential? There's no mems talking about how we're sacrificing, and and I've been talking to some of our guys, and our guys in Kenya are going door to door, and they're they're just saying, "Well, the church can't gather, so we're going to the church." Think about that. I have to come to each of your houses and preach to you. That's a lot of work these guys are doing, and they're doing it, okay, Uh, because they're essential. But the world has dismissed that as essential. It's important the golf courses are open now, that's. But this isn't essential. But for us, we are of a different world and we understand the the complete essentiality of what we're doing today. And each day we should have that kind of change in our life that we function differently than the world and they should hate us. Why? Because we have a different God. Jesus Christ is our God and his words we have received and we're going to obey them because he we have received as our God. God has given us himself. Jesus Christ says, I've given them your word And I believe that should be capitalized. And we're going to develop this a little bit more. And then he says, I pray, do not pray, should be taken out of the world. We talked about that. Just keep them from the evil one. Uh, That is that you guard our way, that we might serve God faithfully without fear because our enemy is a destroyed enemy. Uh, Very soon you're going to see that happen, that the enemy of God is the evil one is going to be cast out of heaven very soon. His time is very short. Before he's going to be cast out of heaven, he's just got a few days left to be able to accuse the brethren. Because when Jesus arrives in heaven, if you've been listening to the Tuesday uh, thing, we talked about that, that, that then Satan is cast out in Revelation 12. He has no place there because once the blood of Jesus Christ arrives with power in heaven, Satan has nothing to accuse you of because the blood of Jesus Christ atones for all our sins, it's the covering. There's nothing to accuse you of. He has separated your sin as much as the East is from the West. And so this is the power of His shed blood. It draws us out of the world and it, it, and now Jesus Christ says, I, want, I pray that you might guard them from the evil one, that while they were here ministering the words of God and the word of God. okay? Um, and if you notice, our, our children's program is called Word of Life Clubs. And that is not Words of Life Club. It is Word of Life Clubs. We're referring to a person, not a message, not a text. It's not Words of Life. And certainly the Bible we could talk about as being words in which we find the message of life. And certainly that is, that is important that we communicate that. But it is Capital W, the Word of Life, which is a person, Jesus Christ. It is him that we follow. and It is him that God gave. This is the gift of God. Now, is this precious? Are the words of God precious to us? Yes, but we don't worship these. These instruct us how to worship the one who is our God, and that is Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh that dwells among us. And this is what we are called to here. This is what is going to make us distinct from the world. Not because we carry a Bible around, but because we study this and we accept these words, but we take it fully, and that is we have accepted Jesus as our God. Which means that he gets to tell me how to live, how to communicate, what my priorities should be, that I live for him. I live to obey him. I live to do his will. I live for his kingdom. I am no longer <laughs> so connected to this world that there's anything here that would jeopardize my living for him. There's, there's no leverage left. I guess that, that's what I want to communicate to you. When we are not of this world anymore, what leverage is left for the world to control us. What do they have to leverage against us? We're going to take this, we're going to take that, we're going to take that, and, and we just, not my world. Nothing. And yet we, whenever we allow them to leverage things against us, to bring us into compliance with them instead of with God's word, we are communicating something, and that is that there's something that's a, another God in our life. That's right. You're adding a God. You might say, Well, I worship Jesus Christ. Yes, but if the world can leverage your children to get you to comply against God's word and for the evil one, then guess what? Your children are a God in your life. And hopefully, Jesus is, a, is this, but I've seen families, plenty of families, where Jesus is second right after the kids or your spouse or your bank account, or your job, or whatever it is. If there's anything in your life that the world can leverage, that the evil one can leverage in you to get you to abandon obedience to Jesus Christ, then that thing is a competing God with Jesus. And I want you to understand that our God is a jealous God, the Bible says. He doesn't like competition. Uh, for your heart strings, He wants to be your only God. For he is the only God. He is the creator of all that exists. Remember that? John chapter 1. He is the one that made everything that is. His, your children didn't do that. <laughs> your job doesn't do that. Your funds don't do that. None of that does that. We obey God because he is the one who, who is rightfully our king. Our Lord. And so we are not of this world. And so we come to verse 17. And again, um, because Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when I come to this passage, because similarly as I have said that Jesus Christ is what was given to move us out of this world, that I have given them your word, myself, to move them out of this world into the heavenlies, so also, what is it that sets us apart? And the word sanctify can also be made holy. And the word holy means to be set apart. And so it is to be set apart for, In generally speaking, it is a sanctification to a purpose. That is, you're set apart to a purpose. He is not saying we're going to be set apart to be saved, but rather you're set apart to a mission. And so the whole context here is what? They're not part of the world, but I'm going to send them into the world with a message for the world. That's That's our mission. That's what we are set apart. So what sets us apart in our faith that brings us to this ultimate, fully mature Christian walk, where there is joy, peace, and love? Well, we've already talked about it. It's an obedient walk to Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, what is it that sets us apart? It says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And again, the word, word, should be capitalized. Your word is truth. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is it that sets us apart? From that is not because we have a certain vocabulary. It is not because you prayed a certain little prayer. I prayed these certain words and therefore I'm in the kingdom of God. Um, nonsense. That's spiritual hocus pocus. The difference is that the Word, Jesus Christ, is truth to me. He is the way, the truth and the life and nothing is comparable to that and if i stack up anything against this person jesus christ and yes it, we we can incorporate the words he spoke with the person but remember you can trust you can accept his words and not his person there's plenty of people out there that're studying the bible and know all the words of jesus christ and say well he's a great teacher a guy named Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi said that. But he doesn't believe that Jesus was God. He said the teachings of Jesus are great. And wouldn't it be great if Christians followed them? Then I might want to be a Christian. So he admitted right in his words that he wasn't one. Because he doesn't acknowledge Christ as his God. I got confronted with that in India. We were at the... Uh, What's the word? I can't think of the word. We're at the service there in Pastor Pavadas' church that was funded in their dedication service. Thank you. Their dedication service. And here's this politician. Oh, I, be- I believe the Bible, but I'm not a Christian. I like the words, but not the word, Jesus Christ. What sets us apart Sanctify them by your truth. Your word, Jesus Christ, is truth. It is he that will separate us from this world. It is he that makes that eternal difference in us. It is he that will bring us into this kingdom of God, into his very family. And it is he who will come and receive us to himself. So I just want to challenge you here that um, we are not talking about the Bible being that which is going to set us apart and that which is going to to make us not of this world. The Bible has a message, the words, of verse 8, about the word in chapter 1, verse 1. And it is the word that will set you apart, Jesus Christ. It is the word that will make you not of this world. You want to be like Jesus Christ? Then we're going to make him our God. Capital W Word. And the Word is truth. Your Word, Jesus Christ, is truth. Now, am I diminishing the Bible as a source of truth? Maybe, in your mind. When we did our study on the origins of the Bible and, um, and we went through all of that and we talked about uh, historical translations and the process and we pointed out uh, one or two places where translators uh, made errors or copy errors and some of you were, were saying, you're really making me want to distrust the Bible. And I'm like, no, I really want you to understand your Bible so fully that you realize that these issues are minor compared to the major message, but they are real because there is some uh, aspects of human error in here. But if you're one of those that has a certain translation that you think is the, the inspired, er- errorless uh, translation for your language... Um, then yes, in your mind, I am diminishing it because the Bible isn't God. It communicates to us who God is, what he requires, and how he has come to save us. And I see too many Christians worshipping their Bible instead of the God of the Bible. And they make that the set-apartness. What sanctifies me is, well, I got this translation. And, if, and since I don't use that translation... Um, they view me as a heathen. Well, who is their God then? It is their Bible and not the God of, that, of the Bible. And so we, do we need to know it? it do we need to study it, do, is it? Is the word of God, is this the word of God for us? Yes. It is the words of God for us. Let's put it like that. It is the words of God for us. Can we trust it? Well, 99.8%. You're not going to find argument with me, but there's some numbers here, there's some things there that, but we have it if we are willing to look beyond one translation and we envelop ourselves in the full discussion, which is what we tried to do with that study, and envelop ourselves the whole thing, we come and we say, wow, God's Word has been spectacularly preserved if Christians got together with all their different, And I'm not talking about modern translations, the NIV, all those. I'm talking about like African Bibles and Asian Bibles and particularly the East, the Greek, uh, Septuagint. But we don't worship this book. You know, I remember having missionaries come. Oh, my Bible got stolen, and I'm really, I'm not really upset. My Bible got stolen. I know what they do with that—they roll cigarettes with because the paper is so thin that they roll. And they're crying over the, their Bible because it's going to be filled with tobacco and they're going to be smoking it. Well, go buy another one. It's just a book with paper. It is the words that are valuable. Maybe that person, while they're rapping, they might say, Jesus loves me. Might say, God so loved the world, he sent his only God. Maybe they might be rolling that page and go, hey, what does that say? But you see, we become worshipers of the book instead of the God of the book. And so we are set apart. What sanctifies us, what's going to make us more and more holy to God, is when we follow the truth, and that truth is Jesus Christ himself. These words are valuable to us to develop an understanding of that, but if we develop that without Jesus Christ as the one that we look to, we will run off track. And we can easily be dissuaded. And so when I confront people with them, I say, well, you know, and I, and i remember and I, and some of you and others uh, in my in my other influences are like ha ah! and and they i'm shaking in my faith i was like why your faith was in your translation i thought your faith was in Jesus Christ and so we need to be good students of God's word, but ultimately Jesus Christ that makes us part of his world, instead of this world, is Jesus Christ that makes us holy. That I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in his sacrifice for my righteousness. I want to be counted righteous. All I bring to the table of salvation is my sin. That's all I bring there, not my good works, none of those matter. All I bring to the table is sin. And Jesus Christ brings righteousness. He brings a sacrifice to cover my sin. And he brings the gifts of God, an inheritance. And so he, he first lays down his blood at the table and covers my sin. And I go, wow. And then he lays down his righteousness and says, this is now yours. You are set apart. It is not the Bible that made me pure. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that made me pure. And his righteousness, his righteous living that is imputed to me, is granted to me. That makes me a saint. Saint means holy one, which means sanctified person. Sanctify them by your truth. By word, capital W, Jesus Christ is truth. He is the one. And then, after I have my sins cleansed, after I have received the righteousness imputed to me, now I come over here and I get all of this inheritance mine. Where did I learn about all this? From the words of God. But I received them from the word of God, Jesus Christ. And that is what sets me apart. And this is so critically important in our evangelism and in our ministry together. Um, and, And it moves us from one kind of ministry into a different kind of ministry. And so when Jesus here, I don't know how I got into Genesis. I got excited there or something. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And again, referring to himself. I sanctify me, and as they follow me, they will be sanctified because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now they can come into the, into the kingdom of God, they can be the children of God, they can be the servants of God. And so we go out with a very clear message. But I'm not going to give you a canned sermon. And say. And, and a lot of our evangelism programs, uh, God has blessed many of them, and I'm, I'm not going to trash them, because if, if you're not mature enough to share Christ out of your heart and your own uh, knowledge of God's word, then they, they are helpful. Um, but they, they communicate something wrong. And here's what they communicate wrong. That you have to say just the right words or you're going to mess up your mission. You see, they have replaced the word of God with their sets of words. And that communicates something wrong. I used to do a lot of, I was a workshop leader and did a lot of workshops around uh, state in West Texas with a group called Iwana Clubs. And uh, they, they had me do a workshop, and they, they had this big video that everybody watched. And it was, you know, which words you're allowed to use when sharing the gospel with people, which words you should never use. All right? And so I had a workshop immediately after that video. And I got in there, and people were just shaken by this. Oh, I've been sharing Christ wrong all these years, and are those people saved? And I just kind of looked at them, and I was like, and I was like, This is a problem, because now we got everybody so focused on the words, they've forgotten that what we're inviting people to do is to trust not in these words, but to trust in Jesus Christ, the person. And so, yes, the text there in Acts, where Paul's speaking, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the whole power of this thing was, you shouldn't say anything more than believe, you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't say that. And I was like, let's go to that text that they used, because they stopped Because the next verse says, and with many other words. That's the next three words that they stopped at. They didn't share those with people. So the people were all there, oh, no, I didn't share Christ right. Maybe they're not saved. It was like, did you share Jesus Christ? Because once we become followers of Jesus Christ and we understand he has the power, he's the one who shed his blood, he's the one who rose from the dead, he's the one who's on the throne in heaven, he's the one that is my mediator between God and man, he is the one who is giving me the inheritance I have, he is the one who is coming back for me, it is him that I live for, and it is him that I serve, and it is his mission that I'm engaged in. Then suddenly this nitpickiness over, whether it's this word or that word, just, just, dissolves. Can you not share your testimony with people of who you follow? And if you're following a set of words instead of the word of God, Jesus Christ, then you should be concerned. I gotta say just right. No. Share Jesus Christ. If, he is, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he's made an eternal difference in your life, communicate that difference. I'm pretty sure my Bible says that if you don't know the words to say, that you don't have to go to Evangelism Explosion. It says um, the Spirit will give you the right words to say. Because frankly, the words change based upon your audience. I use very different words when I'm speaking with people who have been to church and know the language than I use with people who have never been to church. I use different words with children than teens. I use different words with teens than adults. I use different words from adults than I do with seniors. I know they're adults too, but it's just they—they they stop acting like it when they get to about sixty, right? I just have to talk to these guys over here because they're long. no wait, Bill's sixty now, isn't he? Yeah, see, they get into their childhood. Say so, yeah, so so. We use different words. I might engage with someone very, with an approach, and I would really challenge you that Jesus Christ used a very different approach with the woman, Samaritan woman at the well, than he did with the Pharisee at the Temple Mount. It is not the words, it is the truth, and the truth is in Jesus Christ. Are we communicating Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and life? That is what we communicate. Which particular words you use, as long as they point people to Christ, I am less concerned with. I used to be, as a young pastor, I was, re- you're not really saying that right. Like there's, a, there, and, here, pray this prayer. We got the words written down for you. Whether they're in your heart or not, these are the certain, you know, 48 words you have to say to get saved. They're nowhere in the Bible, but here they are. We've written them down for you. No, the words of salvation is, Lord, I've trusted in your work. I've trusted in your words. I've trusted in your person. Jesus Christ is my God. And I want to obey you the rest of my life. This is the progression of faith that John wants to see in his people. And he sees it lacking. That's why he wrote the book. This is one of the latest books of the Bible written. Revelation would be later. Probably John's letters were later, but the gospel is one of the later books. He's looking around at the church. He's looking around at Christians. He's saying, We've got a problem. The problem is, they get excited about the works of God and the words of God, but they're not excited about Jesus Christ as God. And they're not wanting to serve Jesus. They want to serve this message. And I get really annoyed by my, some of my theologian friends, pastor friends, because they want to distinguish it and they say, Well, you're just, you don't follow Pauline teaching well enough. <laughs> I just kind of laugh at them. I'm like, Oh, yeah, you're kind of Petrine. Now, if you don't know what those words mean, it means that they are distinguishing between the writings of Peter and the writings of Paul or James or John. And frankly, um, you can make that argument against me just depending upon what book of the Bible I'm studying at the time and preaching through. Right now, I'm very Johannian. Uh, that means John. Um, you don't say Johnian. You say Johannian. I don't know, it's all that Latin stuff. Because that's real impressive to people. And I'm like, you're all caught up in these very minuscule little words and you're missing the message. The message is Jesus Christ. And if we are really going to follow him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength or not, and if he has made the eternal difference in us, this is the question. And this is the mission that we have, that we go out into the world based upon being sanctified by Jesus Christ, what time is it? I can't see the clock from this far back. Oh, I got five more minutes. Praise the Lord. I was ready to wrap up, but Ephesians chapter 5. I have a cross-reference. You see, if I stood right there, I can see it really well. But from back there, can't see that. I got a piece of the cage blocking it. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to compare this again to something closer to home for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave his words for her. Is that what it says? No, it says himself. He gave himself for her. Look at the next one. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That we are sanctified, we are set apart, we are cleansed with the washing of water by the word. And again, if we go back into John chapter 3, and so I'm connecting Paul to John is what I'm doing. Isn't this kind of exciting? Is he Johannian or is he Pauline? I don't know. Maybe he believes the whole Bible is written by God. Um, So, by the washing of the water of the Word. And again, I would contend that the word should be capitalized, but it might, it's okay not to be here because Paul doesn't use it that way, but John certainly does. And this should immediately take you back to a conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And what was that question that he had? Um, you have to be washed by what? You have to be born how? You have to be born one way and then another way that we are set apart by the washing. Washing of what? Washing away that we might be holy of our sin. Is he talking about baptismal waters washing away sin? No. This is the word. Jesus Christ does that. That we are sanctified. We are set apart To him. We are of his kingdom. Notice verse 27 that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. Not a spot, not a wrinkle, or any such thing. No blemishes that she can be holy. This is the work of Jesus Christ. This is what he desires to do for us as his bride is it purify us, to make us, to, to cleanse us, to be our benefactor, to take us from what we were and to make us into something that is acceptable before God, that is right to be brought into the very presence of God in heaven. There is a parable that talks about, you know, you don't get to come into the wedding feast wrongly attired. Even if you were invited, how did you get in here with the wrong clothing on? And you get cast out into outer darkness. What is the clothing you must wear to enter into heaven as Jesus Christ, his righteousness? You must be sanctified by that washing, by that cleansing. So we find that The purpose of this is that we might be without wrinkle, without spot, without blemish, that we should be holy, that there's nothing held against us, and that we are now entered into the kingdom of God. And then there's a frightening thing at the beginning and now in this verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. You have an opportunity, men, to portray this to your wives and to your family, to your children, and to the world by loving them the way Christ loved the church. He gave himself that she might be spotless. He shed his blood. He suffered that she might be without blame, without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, with no such thing that she might be sanctified, that she might be set apart holy. And that is our responsibility. We are supposed to love our wives with that kind of love that says, I don't care. I'm willing to pay every price to enable my wife to be holy. To assist her to be a godly woman. To be without blemish. And we're not talking about getting her rouge mascara and whatever the other sub-things of the makeup is. Uh, no talking about without spiritual blemish, that we give her no reason, no earthly reason to rebel against the authority in her life. Do you have any reason to rebel against Jesus Christ who has done everything for you? No. And husbands, we should love our wives like that, that they just see how much we expend and expend and expend of ourselves for her benefit, that she has no earthly reason to complain against that, to to, uh, resist that, to not submit to that. We are to love them to such a degree that they have no reason not to submit. We don't want to give them a reason. And by the way, gals, even if he does give you a reason, it's not a reason. None of his misbehaviors are reason enough. He's not Jesus. I try to tell you all that before you get married. You don't believe me, but now you are married. He wasn't Jesus, was he? Okay? He was perfect until you said, I do, and then what happened? But men, your job is to love your wives to such a degree they have nothing of earth in you to move them against your authority. Love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Jesus has done everything for you. Why would you resist his authority in your life? Submit to God. This is the maturest faith. That we submit to him as our authority knowing that he has done everything for us. And this is the Christian walk. And this is the message that we walk out of here with. Yes, we live differently than the world, and the world will hate you. They'll despise you when you live when they don't have anything to leverage against you. When you live so differently than them that they cannot even comprehend it. How is it that church is essential to you? Because I'm of a different world. Oh, don't let the world leverage anything of this world against you. Don't let those little gods into your life. Serve the one true and living God, Jesus Christ, the word that sanctifies you, the word that places you into the very family of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for the words here that we have studied today. Lord, we thank you above all for your word. Jesus Christ, who became flesh and lived among us without sin and died on that cross for our sin, he who knew no sin, to become our sin and then to get victory over sin and death through the power of your resurrection. Lord, we thank you that he today is our mediator. Lord, we understand that you have us in this world for a purpose to glorify you and to go to others with your joy in our hearts of willing to pay any price and every price to share this wonderful message that made such a tremendous difference in our lives today and an even greater difference for our lives in eternity that we might share that that hope with all those that we encounter. Lord, we pray that we might do that by your spirit, that is, that we might rely upon him to give us the words that need to be spoken at the time, that, but that we might have the boldness and the courage to follow his leadership and speak those words that he gives us. Even though we know that they might not be politically correct, they might not well, be well-received in the environment, but Lord, they need to be heard. We need to speak them, for we carry your truth Lord we pray that we might be your ambassadors faithfully following after you because you are our God we thank you for your scriptures that you've given to us we rejoice in them and we pray you might help us to study them better and more Lord, that we might recognize the need to be obedient because of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Pray that we might love one another as you have loved us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.